must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wyrock, and today I'm coming to you live from the Yale Smilo Cancer Center in Orange, Connecticut. I'm joined by a very special guest. Scott Capizoa is here with me. He's been a physical therapist here at Smilo Cancer Hospital Survivorship Clinic since its inception in October 2006. He's developed exercise plans that have that are uniquely tailored to a survivor's needs and personal preferences by assessing their strength and range of motion. He also uses his experience working as the lead physical therapist and trainer in the Hormones and Physical Exercise or HOPE study to educate breast cancer survivors on the importance of exercise to reduce fatigue, bone loss, and joint pain as a result of hormone therapy. As a longtime survivor of testicular cancer himself, Scott has shared his personal story of cancer survivorship to both oncology professionals and high school students throughout the state of Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. Your journey into specializing in oncologic physical therapy is really, truly an interesting one for me. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey down this path? Sure thing, and thank you for having me on your podcast. So I was in physical therapy school. I was in my last year, uh, completed my master's program at Ithaca College when I was diagnosed with uh, stage two testicular cancer. And it took me completely by surprise. We had no family history of cancer. I was an athlete. I ran competitively um, all my years at, um, at Ithaca. And so it really came from out of left field. And while I was going through my treatments and even in the, the, the first couple of years after I was done with treatment, I didn't want the identity of a cancer patient and then a, a cancer survivor. I was pretty happy with who I was when I was going through school. I was pretty happy with how I identified myself. And so I actually went into pediatrics, uh, pediatric physical therapy initially in my career. But with time and with meeting more survivors and and realizing that there is a need for cancer survivors for, for rehab and for exercise as they go through their treatments and as they move into long-term survivorship, I realized that there was a, there was a need there. And so I was fortunate enough to connect with the medical oncologist who started the survivorship clinic at, at Yale. This was even before Smilo existed. Uh, this was in 2006. And he had this idea about a, um, a multidisciplinary survivorship clinic and he wanted a physical therapist as part of that team. So 
he asked me to be a part of that team and so I've been a part of that clinic since 2006 and since then I've tried to expand our, our role as far as rehab is concerned, oncology rehab is concerned. We're trying to expand our program at Smilo and we're trying to also expand oncology rehab on a national level. So I know that when we have had talked before, you told me the story about how you met this physician, this oncologist. I, I think that that's a great story and you should share that with our audience. Sure. So the, the seed money that came to start this clinic off the ground uh, was a um, philanthropic one. And so it was done at a bike ride. Um, and I happened to be getting ready to start the ride and I saw this guy who he had two flat tires. I think the, his brakes were rubbing up against his tires. He had no idea what he was doing. And so I, I took pity on his soul and, and helped him uh, align his bike and get the tires inflated and everything like that. And, and then we both went off on our way. And then when we come back to the tent afterwards, after we've done our individual rides, we, we struck up a conversation and, and turn, turns out that uh, this was uh, Dr. Ken Miller, who had been recruited by Yale to start this survivorship clinic. And he had done a lot of work um, in cancer survivorship previously, and and really it was it was his idea to try to make something multidisciplinary, not just one aspect of cancer survivorship, but it needed to look at all the different aspects of cancer survivorship. And he knew that one part of that was physical, that a physical therapist needed to be part of that. And so he asked me what I did for a living, and I said, I'm a physical therapist. And I happened to be between jobs at the time, and so I said, why not? Uh, and how I, I alluded to a moment ago about how as I was became older and, and met more cancer survivors through various volunteer aspects of things, and um, I realized that that there really was a need for, for physical therapy to, to help cancer survivors regain their strength, regain their range of motion, and regain their confidence as they, as they move forward into long-term survivorship. So uh, it was a great opportunity, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that we are, I'm glad our paths were able to collide, and here we are now, and it's doing well. I think that that's so cool that, you know, just a random act of kindness turned out to end up being a job that now you've turned into a passion, and I think that's so cool. You know, oncology is a newer specialty in physical therapy. It's something that I think is gaining a lot of traction. Tell us a little bit about the patient population that you treat in oncologic physical therapy. Sure. So specifically to what we see in our survivorship clinic, we work with any adult uh, who's been diagnosed with cancer, and we see them after they're done with their active treatments. So they're done with chemotherapy, they're done with radiation, and they're done with surgery. We see a, a large percentage of breast cancer patients who will be on hormone therapy, and that's actually a really good time to see them because there are some pretty significant side effects that go along with those hormone therapies. Uh, Stephanie, as you alluded to, I was a part of the, the HOPE study that came out of, uh, came out of Yale a couple of years ago. And, and that study looked at the effects of exercise, specifically on breast cancer survivors who were suffering from the, the joint pain, arthralgias, uh, as a result of the aromatase inhibitors. These aromatase inhibitors have been shown to help decrease the risk of a reoccurrence of breast cancer by 50%, but two of the main side effects are joint pain and also bone loss. And so we were able to show through that study that consistent exercise helped decrease the joint pain and helped 
prevent the increased loss of bone in, in breast cancer survivors. So, so we see a lot of breast cancer survivors, uh, we see a lot of head and neck cancer survivors, and they have concerns as far as range of motion, uh, sometimes the, the long-term radiation fibrosis syndrome, which doesn't necessarily show up right away. That's a, a symptom that shows up sometimes three to five years after they've finished radiation. So to be able to educate those patients about consistent range of motion exercises so that they don't lose the range of motion of their neck. But really, we, our doors are open to any adult cancer survivor who, have, who has been diagnosed with cancer. You talked about your involvement in the HOPE study. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how you helped guide the exercise prescription in that study and what the specific treatment was that was given to those patients. Sure. So our team designed a pretty uh, standard program that looked at having these women do 150 minutes a week of cardiovascular exercise, preferably weight-bearing exercise. Uh, walking was the primary means of exercise, but as a physical therapist, I knew that I would have to adapt some exercise as far as did they have any pre-existing back issues? Did they have any other pre-existing issues that would prevent them from doing um, exercise on a treadmill or walking? So we would use the bike or we would use the elliptical as well. Um, and then we had, um, we had the women do two strength training sessions per week. And again, we came up with a standard protocol of using um, large muscle groups. But again, as a physical therapist, I would individualize those as needed. Again, if anybody had any pre-existing conditions or as they went through the trial, if any injuries did happen, then I could address those. Uh, and when these women enrolled in the HOPE study, it was for a whole year. So it was a pretty big commitment. And, but I think that having the accountability not just to me as the trainer, but also to the other members of the group was really powerful for these women. It almost became a support group without calling it a support group. I mean, you can say it was a support group in a gym um, because all these women had been down the same road together. They'd all had, you know, breast surgery. They had all, you know, most of them had chemotherapy. Some of them had radiation and they were all there because they were suffering these side effects from this uh, hormone therapy. And so they, they, you know, there was something to be said about we're in it together, you know, that kind of mentality. And so I think that that helped with adherence to the, the program and to the study and not just seeing a physical therapist to kind of help change the, the protocol as needed, but also the accountability to each other. Yeah, and I think that that's really an important point that, you know, having a physical therapist a part of a team like that, even though the prescriptive exercise is more cardiovascular, you have to be able to account for other things that may come up. Because if you have a year-long study, but you have somebody who has low back pain, mm -hmm. and they don't, they get, would get, which gets worse with walking, mm -hmm. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do as somebody who's, you, you may risk some an increased dropout rate or something in the study. So I love like how you were able to modify those exercises. Thank you, yeah. You know, cancer is the leading cause of death in the United States. However, there are obviously many people who survive their encounter with cancer. What kind of implications does this have on the person and their family that you kind of deal with on the survivorship clinic here? Yeah, so right now in 2019, there are an estimated 16 million cancer survivors in the United States, which is an amazing number. But so many of those survivors do have both short-term and long-term 
physical issues that need to be addressed. And so again, that's the, the impetus behind you know, what we do here. And, and really what we can do as physical therapists moving forward is to, to identify these survivors and, and work with their medical team and try to increase those referrals so that all those long-term side effects, again, like that radiation fibrosis syndrome that I alluded to a few minutes ago, to make sure that patients don't lose their range of motion or when patients come out of chemotherapy and radiation, they're tired. Cancer-related fatigue is a real thing. It's the number one complaint of all cancer survivors is this cancer-related fatigue. And it's not a traditional fatigue that can be taken care of by sleeping in or taking a nap or that sort of thing. The body is still trying to heal from all these insults that the, that, yeah, that have been uh, healed, um, that they've endured. So for us as physical therapists to be able to come up with the correct exercise prescription and the right dosing and the right frequency of exercise, that's where we fit into the, the puzzle here. And uh, you talk, you keep bringing up the, the cancer-related fibrosis that can happen. Tell, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with that condition, can you maybe expand on what that is? Sure. So radiation fibrosis syndrome is something that we see for patients who've received radiation therapy, external beam radiation therapy. And the, the mechanism pretty much is that the, the, the muscle and the connective tissue starts to get fibrotic over time because it's been exposed to, to radiation. And, and again, initially, that'll manifest itself as fatigue as the body is trying to heal itself. But over time, and again, this is something that doesn't show up necessarily right away. This may show up two, three, even five years later. The person starts to experience decreased range of motion that the muscle and the connective tissue becomes more and more fibrotic. And if they're not educated on being able to do daily exercises and daily stretches, it really has to become part of their routine, just like brushing their teeth. So if they're not educated on that early on, then we start to see this decreased range of motion, which then leads to a decreased quality of life. If they can't turn their head to see where they're going when they're driving, that becomes a major issue. And how can a physical therapist screen for something like that if somebody's going to be at risk for that? So doing an extensive history and knowing what kind of treatments the, the patient had. And for, for a physical therapist who's trained in oncology, you know, kind of the, the red flags kind of lead you down the road. So again, if, if they had radiation to the head and neck area, to be able to meet with that patient early on and say, okay, these are the exercises that I want you to do. And, you know, it'd be great to follow up with them on a periodic basis to say, how are things going? Do we need to change anything? Do we need to modify anything? So to be able to identify these patients as early as possible to, to make that intervention. So that's one example. And, and again, as I talked about the cancer-related fatigue, that's more of a, or an acute side effect that we see. And so again, for the physical therapist to see that patient earlier to help regain their endurance, their cardiovascular endurance, their muscular endurance. So really, a physical therapist should be a part of a cancer patient's um, trajectory uh, throughout the rest of their survivorship. And you know, the clinic that you're in, Scott, is a multidisciplinary clinic. Tell us a little bit about the other healthcare professionals that you work with and how you guys work together to improve a person's quality of life following their cancer treatment. Yeah, so when we started our clinic in 2006, I'm pretty sure we were the first on the East Coast, if not the nation, to have this multidisciplinary 
approach to cancer survivorship. This was right around the time that the Institute of Medicine came out with their loss and transition report. And they talked about that cancer survivors should have a survivorship care plan, which talks about what kind of treatments the patient had and then what kind of screenings that a patient would have to do moving forward to make sure that they're fighting off their chance of a reoccurrence. But also an example would be if somebody had a a chemotherapy that was cardiotoxic to make sure that that patient followed up with a cardiologist on a regular basis. But our clinic did more than just provide the survivorship care plan. We have a physician's assistant who does the care plans but we also have a dietitian who does a fantastic job of dispelling all of the myths that are out there. She will go through all of a patient's supplement list and say, oh, you don't need to have all of these supplements. You just need to make all these changes to your diet um, and to, to eat, um, eat healthier and to live a healthier life. And we have a social worker who, for her, the sky's the limit as to what she will address. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes it's fear of recurrence, sometimes it's body image, but it could be, I'm okay with my cancer, but I have this aging parent, and that's where my stress is coming from. So she can address all of those concerns. And then there's me as the physical therapist addressing the, the, the physical components uh, of a cancer survivor. So there's really, there's four of us that are part of this multidisciplinary clinic. And when a patient comes in, it's a two hour visit. They get to meet with each of us for half an hour, which is really unique. If you think about it, as a patient gets out of active treatment and they start their short-term survivorship and their long-term survivorship, they may see their oncologist for just a few minutes uh, on a regular checkup. And they're gonna check their blood levels and they're gonna do a quick physical exam, but they're not gonna have a half an hour to sit down and talk with that provider, never mind two hours to talk about what's going on with them. So that's why we have a pretty unique setup in our clinic. And is this becoming more common across healthcare, these multidisciplinary survivorship clinics? We'd like to think so. We've, um, we've spoken uh, on a national level to try to get more providers and more institutions to, to buy into this. Um, like I said, we, we know that we're pretty unique. Um, but I know that there are other clinics that are trying to replicate what we're doing. And at a minimum, they'll make sure that the patient gets the survivorship care plan, but they will at least have a referral base for physical therapy, for nutrition, for social work. So at least they know, okay, in case I screen somebody and I have concerns about, you know, their um, their physical being, I have a physical therapist that I can send them to. Or this person came in and they had all these questions about their, their diet, then I've got a dietitian that I can immediately refer them to. So at least to be able to have those teams, have those providers ready and lined up to go. So our audience for our podcast is pretty varied. Um, what advice would you give to, say, a physician and maybe a patient who's experienced cancer um, in their to to take an active role in trying to find something kind of like what you guys have here. Sure. So one of the big things that we're finding is that when a when a cancer patient transitions out of active treatment, there's kind of this gray area as to who's in charge of their care. Is it the medical oncologist or is it the primary care physician? And for the first couple of years, they'll 
the patient's going to go back to their medical oncologist again for, to check blood levels and and those sorts of things. But at some point, the patient needs to make a transition to the primary care physician, and so part of what we do is to make sure that the primary care physician gets those survivorship care plans and that they actually know how to interpret those survivorship care plans because that's where we want our patients to eventually end up. We want them to back in their community. We want them back with their primary care physicians, but we need to know, make sure that the primary care physician knows how to interpret this care plan and to make sure that that primary care physician does have referrals ready to go in case their patient brings up the questions. So it's been a lot of education, both for the, the, the oncology team, but also the, the primary care physician team. I think that's a good point. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you said that you've done, you do pediatrics as well. And it's like when you turn 18, you know, what happens to you as a kid? Do you go back to your PD or 21? Do you go back to your pediatrician or do you have to go find a primary care provider? And how can you make sure that each provider is talking? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really great point, making sure that you can get that medical oncologist to talk to that family. primary care provider. And and to that point, Stephanie, I'm, I'm the perfect example of that. I'm somebody who did not go to a primary care physician for years because I figured, why do I need to go to a primary care physician? I'm seeing my oncologist every six months and they're drawing my blood and you know they're doing a quick physical exam and so that's all good. And so I, I didn't go to a primary care physician for years after mm-hmm. finishing treatment. And, um, but I realized that the oncologist is screening for my tumor markers. They're not necessarily screening for uh, cholesterol and glucose and those types of things. And so that's where you you have to make that transition because the primary care physician is the one that's going to be able to kind of see you see the whole picture. So we've talked about cancer related fatigue. We talked about radiation, fibrosis. What are some other big issues that cancer survivors deal with following chemotherapy or radiation or their cancer diagnosis in general? And do you have any other advice for physical therapists who help these patients that may be dealing with these issues? Sure, so again, cancer-related fatigue is the number one complaint of all cancer survivors. For, for patients who have had surgery, any kind of range of motion issues, if you notice that you're unable to, to move your arm or, or, or um, you know, if you're having a difficulty moving, uh, those are areas that need to be addressed specifically with our, our breast cancer population. A breast cancer patient who has uh, a lymph node dissection plus radiation therapy is at an increased risk for something called cording, which is something that a physical therapist can address through myofascial release and, and stretching and, and those types of techniques. And then also, the, uh, like I said, the, the hormone therapies, the, the side effects that those cause. Um, and then also some of the chemotherapy drugs. There are some very specific chemotherapy drugs that can cause a, con- a condition called chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. And what that is, is like the, a tingling or a burning sensation in the hands and the feet. And it's very specific to particular chemotherapy drugs. And we know that it's a different mechanism than diabetic neuropathy. We know that this peripheral neuropathy from the chemotherapy is, a, is an approach, or it's an attack rather, on the sensory nerves uh, in the body. And so, again, to be able to, to work with a physical therapist or even an occupational therapist in that setting um, to do desensitization exercises, strengthening exercises, balance exercises. If somebody can't feel their feet, that's obviously a balance concern. So 
depending on where they have their symptoms, is it primarily in their hands, is it primarily in the feet, that will help generate a referral to either physical therapy or occupational therapy. And um, you had mentioned cording. For those of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with that term, can you maybe expand a little bit on that? Sure. And so what that is, is it's a, it's a, it's a tightness. It's a very specific tightness uh, in, the, in the armpit and the axilla. And it actually looks like a guitar string. I mean, you, and a person can't abduct their arm past 90 degrees. I mean, you'd be surprised if somebody can abduct their arm to 70 degrees if they have this condition. And again, it's it, a lot of times we see that as the combination of the axillary lymph node dissection with radiation therapy. And there's more and more research out there that shows that a, a myofascial release approach first helps to release that cording and then you can incorporate some more traditional range of motion exercises to make sure that they, the patient gets their range of motion back. And what about lymphedema? Is that a common um, problem that cancer survivors have following dis- dissections of lymph nodes? Yes, so lymphedema is a, um, is a condition where there can be swelling in, ex- in an extremity because of a loss of lymph nodes. Lymph- lymphedema can also occur um, after radiation, if there's radiation to um, a major bed of, of lymph nodes in the body. There's been a lot of research in the past 10 years that has kind of dispelled some of the rumors, or not rumors, but um, you know, kind of the old thinking when it came to lymphedema. There used to be a lot of thinking about you can't lift more than five pounds and you, you, know, you can't do this and you can't do that type of thing. And, um, but there's more and more research out there that shows that we want patients to, to move because movement actually is a good way to prevent lymphedema and you know so what we what we typically tell our patients is that we want you to move we actually want you to do some strength training but again we want you to do it in a controlled setting under the supervision of a physical therapist at least initially because as you're doing your strength training we want you to start off with low reps and um, or, or high reps low weights and slowly increase the amount of weights that you do you don't want to do anything all out, you want to do one RM maxes and you don't want to do anything kind of ballistics or per se, but you definitely want to move because if the lymphatic fluid is moving, then it never gets an opportunity really to kind of pull in the arm. I think that, you know, this, uh, as I've gone through my career, I mean, I have some experience in breast cancer research, so I've always had an interest in treating people that have cancer, but I know like in school, I don't really remember learning a lot about it. Um, What are your thoughts on this? Is this just my perception or is this something that you think is true within DPT education? I think it's an area that we can do better with education. I can tell you that when I went through my physical therapy program many years ago, we had a nurse come in from the hospital and did a two hour lecture on oncology and and that was it. and so I think there, there's a definitely, because there's such a need for oncology rehab, and like I said before, with 16 million cancer survivors in the country, even if 10% of those people need some sort of rehab, that's a lot of people that need rehab. And so we need to be able to make sure that our students are educated and exposed to oncology rehab as they enter the workforce. And so I think that it very well could fall on those of us that are in the field now to set up something with um, with the schools, to set up something with the universities to say, hey, you know, 
let us come in and, and, and do a lecture, let us come in and let's do a lab or maybe set up a clinical affiliation or something like that because we do need to teach these students as they're going through. And they are, they're very, very interested. Uh, you, uh, you and I both had the opportunity to be at our combined sections meeting earlier this year. And I can't tell you the number of students that came up to me at our um, Academy of Oncologic um, Physical Therapy table and wanted to know more about oncology rehab. What is it? How do I get into it? How do I get exposed to this? And what I would tell students is, as you're graduating, if you haven't been exposed to it that much in school, seek out continuing education opportunities. They're out there. There are some listed on the Academy of Oncologic Physical Therapy website. Um, there are some other great continuing education programs around the country that offer those types of continuing education courses. And that's what I had to do. When I got into this field, I had to seek these things out, seek out these courses, and I would travel around the country. I mean, I would travel to St. Louis, Missouri, and I would uh, travel to California if I had to, because I wanted to be immersed in it as much as I could. And that's a, a good way to kind of increase your, your knowledge base with this population. What about residencies and fellowships? Are, is, is, are there opportunities for people if they're interested, especially younger physical therapists, interested in pursuing this career route is are there residencies or fellowships that they can maybe look into sure if you go to the academy of oncologic physical therapy website which is oncologypt.org there is a tab for education and that's where they list the residencies there's a dozen in the country right now and they are thankfully they're spread out around the country so hopefully something is relatively close to where where people live but that was one big thing that they've talked about and our hope is that you know, for those of us that are in the field, that we can create more of these residencies for these students and for these new grads. And I don't want to even say that it's necessarily just the new grads, but there are going to be PTs that are out there that have been practicing 5, 10, 15 years who are going to realize that they want to do this as well. And so I think to be able to open those opportunities up for practicing physical therapists as well as the, as the new grads is really, really important. APTA also is implementing a specialty certification in oncology, physical therapy. Tell us about your involvement in this and why you think people should, you know, consider this as a specialty tract. So, so the academy finally got the okay to have its own certification exam, and it's going live this year in 2019. And I was selected to be part of a team to help write the questions for that exam. This first exam apparently is a, um, it's pulling questions from other um, exams from the, the ortho exam, the PEAS exam, and neuro, and, and those types of exams. Um, but moving forward, they wanted to have a bank of questions that they can always pull from. And so I applied and was picked to be part of this team to help write the, the questions. Uh, and so it's been a really interesting learning experience for me to, to, to go and learn what it is to be an item writer uh, for this national exam. I have to tell you, it's, especially being a practitioner for several years, it's easy to come up with the right answer when you write these questions. It's hard to come up with the wrong answer <laughs> for these questions um, because they want you to come up with, with the, the, you know, several wrong answers, but they can't be too wrong either. So it's, it's been a very interesting process. Um, but it's a very exciting process to finally have an oncology specialization exam to go along with orthopedics, to go along with pediatrics, to go along with women's health. 
it's very, very necessary. It's very needed. And I think as these these next couple of years, this next um, this first generation of PTs who take this exam and get the certification, that's really exciting because then those are the PTs that oncologists, that primary care physicians, that patients can seek out and say, oh, this person is a board certified specialist in oncology. This is the this is the person that I want to see. What you know, you've shared a lot of our your clinical pearls with us today. But what are some other clinical pearls, you know, as an experienced practitioner, that you can share with us regarding treatment of people with cancer or people who have survived cancer? So, it's a very unique experience. There are also some very common themes that we see in um, in cancer survivorship, and we actually that's one of the things that goes back to our multidisciplinary clinic is we can see a particular theme and we can all come at it from our own our own angles. So a very common theme in cancer survivorship is fear of recurrence. And it's a very real thing and um, so we can all come at it from a different angle. The the dietitian can come at it from, well, if if you eat well and you're 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 fueling your body the right way, that helps to decrease the risk of a reoccurrence. From my perspective, it becomes, well, if you're exercising and you're, take, you're physically taking care of your body, then that helps to reduce the risk of a reoccurrence. Our social worker will say, if you're practicing mindfulness and, and, and um, deep breathing exercises and, and those types of things, meditation, that helps to decrease the risk of a reoccurrence. And then our physician's assistant, who again gives out the special care plan, well, if you're going for your, your screenings and you're doing all of those things to make sure that you're you're healthy, that helps prevent the chance of a reoccurrence as well. So you can take a particular theme of cancer survivorship and we can all come at it from, from different angles to make sure that we don't miss anything. I think that's a really important point, making sure that we are collaborating with other healthcare professionals as physical therapists and vice versa, other healthcare providers um, collaborating with us so that we can really try to decrease this fear, to, to decrease reoccurrence as much as we can. Um, it kind of reminds reminds me of how we help patients get through, uh, re- decrease the reoccurrence of an orthopedic problem or even of chronic pain. So I think that that's a really good point that you make. At the end of every podcast episode, we ask a standardized question to everybody. And that question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education in physical therapy or otherwise, what would you change and how would you change it? I would probably change it as we were alluding to earlier as far as making sure that oncology rehab is a standard part of DPT programs and that could I think that it has to be both a lecture and a a lab component to it Um, and one of the things that I've told students is that as you go through your DPT program you go through your, your your PT programs you you know how to do a six minute walk test. You know how to do a timed up and go. You know how to assess for range of motion. So you have all that that background information. You have that really solid foundation. The the thing about oncology rehab is understanding why this patient has limitations and why they have shortcomings. Why why is their balance off? Why you know what's wrong with their their strength? Why do they have a decrease in strength? That sort of thing, and realizing that it's coming from a different mechanism. Again, going back to the the hormone therapies, somebody who didn't have arthritis, quote unquote arthritis, 
one one day, but then they take this medication, the aromatase inhibitors, and all of a sudden, I can't tell you how many survivors. So to just to under where physical. So I think lecture communities around the country, and it doesn't have to be a practice. So I, I would call upon that are out there practice, reach out. And I know one school that probably has an, a really great lecture series in oncology is Ithaca, because uh, you go there every year and you teach that that coursework. So um, I, I really appreciate the fact that they're implementing that in their curriculum and that you're, you're willing to go up to Ithaca every year and teach that coursework. You know, I'm betting there's going to be a ton of questions for you, Scott. This has been an amazing interview. I know I've learned a lot. I think our listeners have as well. Where can people reach out to you online or on social media if they want to get a hold of you and have further questions to ask you about this topic? Sure. If they, they can learn more about our survivorship clinic here at Smilo Cancer Hospital, if they go to the Smilo website and they search survivorship, my personal, e- or my work email rather is scott.caposa, C-A-P-O-Z-Z-A at Y-N-H-H.org. So those are, um, you can reach me that way. Um, be happy to talk with, with anybody who's out there to talk about oncology rehab. And we will put his email in the show notes as well as some of the other references that he has referred to. Thanks again, Scott, for joining us. And thank you for joining us on the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.